when he put his hand on her, I turned into George McFly on my couch. She didn't need any help getting his damn hands off her. That's no, for sure. She absolutely did not. Yeah. Holy shit. That was a bad move. That's a very politician type move. Mm-hmm. But a very bad move. Yes. That's also a very I'm a white man with power and think I can put my hands on a woman if I want to move. Mm. Right. Yep. Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams Assemble. Amy, do you know what I really want right now? No. I can hazard a guess, though. I want some of that goddamn cherry blossom tea. Okay, that was not where I was going, but okay. That sounds delicious. However, I do not have Baron Zemo money, so I cannot afford to pay $14 for a pack of only 18 teas, Amazon. Sorry. Okay, you actually looked that up. I did. It really <laughs> did sound delicious like oh sam and bucky might not want some don't throw it bucky i'll take it (laughs) so how you feeling after this episode kind of smitten honestly with with ao Mm -hmm. oh yeah shit oh yeah yeah she can walk all over me i don't think anybody expected to see the dora milaje on this show To call them a breath of fresh air is an understatement. Yeah. Can they just stay? Can we replace everyone with the Dora Milaje? Can we just call it the Dora Milaje and the Dora Milaje? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ryan Coogler does have a Wakanda series in development for Disney+. Plus. We just don't have a timeline for the show yet. So we should be seeing more of the Dora's on that show, but we'll definitely see more of them in Black Panther 2, which I believe is uh, July 8th, 2022, we hope. Yeah, so far, July 8th, 2022. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of looking forward to this now, even more so, because canonically we know that AO is queer in the comics, right? Yes. So I'm wondering if they're going to If first off, if we're going to see her in the show and maybe if they go there. We shall see. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So this episode was again written by Derek Kolstad, who wrote last week's episode. Mm -hmm. And this took me three watches to really process properly. Yeah, there's a lot of underlying stuff happening. I don't think there's much underlying. I think it's right in our faces. That and also some underlying stuff. Or maybe I think it's underlying. I don't know. We shall see. Yep. But one thing you and I both agree on, though we love the Dora Milaje, the standout performance of this episode comes from Wyatt Russell. Yes, he was fantastic. I can't sing this guy's praises enough. (laughs) we were a bit iffy about him right before the show started and how he would be and stuff like that 
that's also because we we didn't know anything about the character. Yeah, true. But he's done a brilliant job. And seeing his descent is fascinating. It really is. And his performance is so nuanced. I just hope that after this episode, as I said, with things being thrown in our faces, I hope people can now fully appreciate what the show is doing and appreciate his performance in that regard. Yes, I agree. I. But this episode does not start out with John Walker. This episode starts out with Bucky. We are in Wakanda, which was a nice surprise again. And Ao is with Bucky somewhere out in the middle of the forest. And she is saying those same trigger words that awakens the Winter Soldier. You know, this kind of reminded me of when Widow goes to track down Banner in the Avengers, how he's isolating himself mm-hmm. to keep everyone safe. Right. It's, that's what Io's done here. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's strategic for her to do that. Definitely, because she says to him, I won't let you hurt anyone. Yeah. And, you know, we get this softness from her here, contrasted with the warrior we see later. The compassion is just all over her face. Yes, compassion and a hint of fear as she's saying those words. Well, maybe not fear, I'd say worry. Worry. That's just it. Yeah, she's not afraid of Bucky. She may be afraid for him if it doesn't work, what that will do to him moving forward, because it's clear that they've been working on his healing for a while at this point. Yes. And clearly you can see that he is very afraid of, again, failing the test. I think he's close to a breaking point at this stage. Yes, because we don't know how many times they've done this. Yeah, yeah. And the success was really needed. So I think she was worried for him, like you said. If this fails, she's afraid that she might lose him completely. Mm-hmm. And this mini montage we get of flashbacks is so well edited. Yeah. It really adds to the emotional heft of the scene. It does, yes. And Sebastian Stan did a wonderful job. Yes. To that point... All you people out there, I've seen you on Twitter, you can't hide, who claimed that up till this episode, Sebastian Stan has no emotional range. Please email us, uh, themarvelsmanos at gmail.com. I'm taking orders. Would you like your crow grilled, fried, or roasted? I think the problem with Sebastian so far has been that he wasn't given the opportunity to show his range. True. And I think that is part of the character. So the criticism has been unfair, is my point. Fair, yeah. And this had me in tears. The first watch. I was not prepared for this moment. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's had a freeing moment of this magnitude understood how profound this moment was for Bucky. This took me straight back to February 8th, 2010, the day my divorce from a maniac was finalized. Okay. And what really got me is how clearly proud Io is of him in this moment. Yes, she's relieved, she's happy and proud to see him get so far. Yeah, and the look in his eyes 
smiling. He is overjoyed. This is the start of his new life. Yes, it is. This is a rebirth in a way, you could say. Definitely. And he shared that moment with Io. These two have a bond. Yeah. Which makes it totally understandable that Io feels betrayed standing there with him in that street in Latvia. Yeah, I completely understand where she's coming from. Even if the two of them don't have that bond, the fact that Bucky can attribute his new life, his healing, everything to Wakanda and then to go out and help Zemo escape, that obviously is something that's very close to all Wakandans, is understandable for her to be pissed off. I totally agree. And, you know, I think the fact that Io gives him eight hours at all speaks volumes about their relationship. Yes, agreed. If this was anybody else, forget it. Yeah, she would have probably skewered them right there. Yeah. So she says her piece, eight hours, giving back my beads. And to say <laughs> this woman walks away just does not do this justice. No, I was mesmerized. <laughs> That woman can walk all over me and I will say thank you. <laughs> that dress and the way she's strutting away. Whew, I have nothing to say. <laughs> I may have rewinded that scene a couple of times and, and seen it a couple of times. I will figure out how to isolate that statement. If it's the last thing I do. Good luck with that. <laughs> It will take me six months of unnecessary work, but I will do it. Six months? That's very optimistic of you. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut it. No one's defending you. <laughs> you know, I gotta say, I was surprised that Bucky just up front told Zemo the Wakandans were there to take him. Yeah, I was surprised too that he kind of said it. I expected him to maybe tell Sam about it and that's it. Right. But I think this is part of his therapy. He's learning to be open. That could be, which good on him. Yeah. Now here's my question. Why is Sam so upset that Zemo killed Nagel? Because he killed him in cold blood. I really... Is it wrong that I'm just really okay with it? He was Nazi garbage. I'm more than okay with what Zemo did, especially because, like they say later, he was the golden goose. He was behind the serum. Yeah. Okay. So I may catch some flack for this, but I need to say this. Nagel was not a Nazi. Nagel experimented on the super soldier serum based on the vials of blood that were given to him. He, as far as we know so far, did not actually experiment on people. The credit for that lies with the CIA and Hydra, who did that to Isaiah. I get what you're saying, but anyone who would utter the phrase, not my pig, not my farm, can leave this earth. Yes, I agree he's not the epitome of humanity. Most certainly not. Well, too, I think what Zemo recognizes that Sam may not is if they attempt to take that guy into custody, 
different factions are all going to be in play, ready to break him out. Or the government would use him again. Exactly. As far as I'm concerned, Zemo did the right thing. Or did he? <laughs> he may have done the right thing, but the fact that he, there was no due process and he was killed in cold blood is sticking with Sam. That's the problem. Well, I will say, there's no need to litigate what may or may not have happened. <laughs> that is the quickest attempt at revisionist history I've ever heard, and I'm kind of on board for it. <laughs> you gotta admit, he's got the balls to think that he can get away with it. Yeah, yeah, he's really got the panache. Gotta give him points. <laughs> yeah. As he... As he saunters around in his bathrobe. <laughs> Sam can't get past the idea that, in his mind, Carly's just a kid. Yes. Whereas Zemo sees her as a dangerous supremacist who must be destroyed at all costs. That, I think, is a bit of a stretch. I think it's a stretch for both of them. I don't think Carly Morgenthau has been a kid for a very long time. True. But, again, from Sam's perspective he would know how difficult it is for a kid like her to grow up. Sam grew up in a nice nuclear household with two parents who loved him. So I actually don't think Sam gets it. Uh, from a cultural perspective. Yeah, and we're going to go into that later too when, when Sam yeah. heads into the school. But as far as understanding, as far as understanding her cause, yes, I think Sam fully understands that. But in terms of understanding Carly herself and what she's been through, I think in that regard, he's lacking. I think he's trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to condemn her just like everybody has yes. all this time. If we look at it, a lot of people in society end up going the wrong path because they've been condemned in various ways as they've grown up. Mm -hmm. yeah, so I agree. he doesn't want to do the same thing. Yeah, I agree with Sam 100% on that throughout this whole episode. Hmm. It's very clear So in this episode that Sam is the moral center of the show. Totally. All of Zemo's talk here with saying that anyone with that serum is on the path to supremacy, it was very much the opposite of Magneto's rhetoric of mutant supremacy. Mm -hmm. Part of me very much wants those two to meet. Yeah, that would be an interesting conversation. I think so. And to see Michael Fassbender and Daniel Bruhl sharing a screen, take my money. <laughs> okay, a bit of a tangent here. How do you think Zemo would react to the fact that mutants are genetically different? In his case, super soldiers shouldn't exist because they're man-made and they're engineered to be better than the rest. But in this case, it's biological. That's a really good point. I don't know. I think that's something that I would need to read a lot of comics for, you know, like dig really deeply into that character to find out what he might think about that sort of question, because his argument goes out the window, kind of. Kind of, yeah. So it would be, it's an interesting thought exercise. Hmm. Listeners, if you have any thoughts and would like to discuss this with me because I'm very interested and it's been running on my mind since yesterday, since I saw this episode. Please message me. Let's have a chat. 
She means it, people. Her curiosity is insatiable. <laughs> so both Zemo and Sam's points are valid in different ways. There is a motivational difference when it comes to enhanced people about arrogance versus feeling obligated to help. And nobody, no show or film does this conflict better than Daredevil. How so? At least in season one, that is Matt Murdock's whole conflict. He can't do nothing when he hears so much pain and misery in the world. He feels an obligation to help, but that obligation does end up turning into arrogance. It's a very fine line that requires tremendous balance and control. And and I think that's where Carly has gone from this insatiable need to do something to help people to arrogance. And we see that growth in this episode. Right. And Bucky tries to make the argument, hey, the serum never corrupted Steve. But again, we can't disagree with Zemo here when he says, well, there's never been another Steve Rogers, has there? Yeah. And I think that's because Steve was chosen specifically by the creator of the serum whereas everyone else wasn't intentionally chosen by dr erskine the others either took or were given the super soldier serum to be better soldiers right the criteria was very different for sure and you know i think that's part of the reason that zemo doesn't seem to have at least now any malice towards Bucky because of what was done to him. The serum was forced upon him and then he was used and manipulated to be a weapon. I think in some ways Zemo actually has a lot of respect for Bucky. Yeah, I think so because he does recognize that Bucky was a victim as well. Mm -hmm. And even in Civil War, it's been a while since I've seen it, but so correct me if I'm wrong. He didn't have any malice towards Bucky. He used him as a tool. Yes. He didn't want to harm Bucky or do anything to him. He just knew that he's the linchpin to get the Avengers to disassemble. You know, it's funny. You just made me realize in Civil War, Bucky was Zemo's means to an end. And now here, Zemo is Bucky's means to an end. Yes. So then Sam gets an idea about how to go about finding Carly. Now, we said earlier that there are a lot of clearly in-your-face commentaries in this episode. But there's also a lot of subtlety. I think this scene with Sam is one of those subtle instances of the role of racism in the show, in American culture. How so? So at least when I was a kid, I would see white people within my circle, outside of my circle, kind of roll their eyes or get annoyed when black people or Hispanic people would say things like this, their TT, or use a different word for their cousin, or just other cultural words in general that made white people uncomfortable. Just the way so many xenophobic white people say now, oh, they're coming to get us. We've got to save our cultural identity. So that was the vibe the undertone I got from this. I don't think Bucky is trying to do that. I don't think he's trying to belittle Sam in that 
in that way. No, not at all. I think he's teasing him because it sounds babyish to him. Yeah, I I was thinking that it was more like a childlike ribbing, if you will. Yes, but I think as far as the writers go, perhaps this was their more underlying intention here. I could be wrong. Yeah, that's fair. And I find it interesting that Zemo just went with it and told Sam that his TT would be proud. Yeah, and I think that was out of genuine respect. Yeah, and I think, again, it's another pattern that we're seeing with Zemo being very culturally aware. Mm -hmm. So the reason Sam is talking about his aunt is because it gives him the idea that, oh, I bet the whole community is going to gather for some kind of memorial for Donya Madani. Yes, and he was right. Indeed. So now we see the Flag Smashers listening to some news reports about Carly's warehouse explosion. Yes. What was the vibe that you got from this group at this point? Everybody's pretty uncomfortable with this news. Mm hmm. And I think maybe they're possibly a little upset with Carly here because what we see, what we hear happening is that as a result of this, the GRC is now putting together legislation called the Patch Act to reinstate national borders. Right. I don't think she consulted anybody before she blew up that warehouse. No, she didn't. It was pretty apparent that she didn't in the previous episode. Yeah, and that's another problem when you become a leader and things start to become less and less of a democracy. Mm-hmm, right. She, she's falling further down that slippery slope. Yes, she is. And we see her going, going down deeper as the episode progresses. Yes. But now it's time for Sam to get himself into some trouble. <laughs> Were you surprised at the way Sam went about trying to get information from people? I was surprised that he persisted in the same way. Mm -hmm. I did think that he was going in too, I don't want to say heavy-handed, but too naively. Yes, I agree completely. He went in assuming people would be happy to talk to him. Right. The thing too is, Sam, you're pretty recognizable. You're an Avenger. Everybody knows your face, man. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think he thinks about that. He's just trying to do the right thing. He's not thinking about his celebrity status. It's not even that. It's about an allegiance. Like he persists with this even after he sees the Flag Smasher symbol on these supply mm -hmm. boxes. Like, Sam, you have to know these people don't trust what you represent. True. But he eventually did get someone to talk. The only person even willing to speak to Sam while everybody else is running behind closed doors is this teacher. And I like the way this guy stands up for himself. Yes, I admire him. Yeah, they are not refugees. They are internationally displaced persons. Yes. And this conversation is very important mm -hmm. to set up a lot about Carly's intentions and what we get to know about the world. Very true. And this conversation 
is the reason I'm so glad WandaVision came out first. Because in episode, what was it, three, we get to see that cold open with Monica Rambeau returning from the blip in the hospital and seeing the sheer chaos of everything. Mm -hmm. So as this teacher is explaining to Sam how they feel, like we set up new lives for ourselves, we had homes and these people come back and we're just kicked out of them. We also have Monica and that whole scene in our heads, knowing what it was like for the people who came back. We got a little of that from Aunt May too in uh, Spider-Man Far From Home when she says, I get back into my apartment as if no time had passed and there are strangers in there. Right, yeah. So one can only imagine how the people coming back felt. If that was me, yeah, I'd want my house back. Absolutely. What an incredible learning curve for those people to have coming back. I mean, I would have absolutely no idea how to deal with that as a global community. And also for the people who were left behind, they, in the five years that they had, they rebuilt, mm -hmm. they changed. And like we saw, people moved into different houses, different countries to try and build a new life and adjust. And all of a sudden, all these people came back. Like we can see for, for these people who are staying in this GRC settlement, the blip was probably the best thing that could have happened to them. Yes. In a way. I'm sure they must have lost people and they must have grieved the loss of their loved ones. But thanks to that, they had a better chance at a better life. Mm -hmm. And now that's being taken away from them again. And I think this is also another subtle commentary of U.S. society. Sam telling him, I understand because he does. What is happening to these displaced peoples, to these kids in the camps? It's the same thing that has been happening to black children in U.S. inner cities forever. Or gentrification in general in major cities. It is, by and large, children of color who are both forgotten and intentionally ignored. Right, yeah. And that leads us to an uncomfortable at least for me, confession. Which is? And I'm starting to think that maybe Tony and Steve and Bruce and everybody made a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I hate myself and I wanted to stop. <laughs> I've kind of been on this train for a while that maybe Thanos was not quite wrong. But it's more nuanced than that. It's not right or wrong. Okay, a couple of things. The idea of reducing the population in order for there to be enough resources for everyone in the world to live comfortably, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Thanos was right on that aspect. The way he went about doing it by killing half the population is not the right way to do that. And also, it doesn't lead to long-lasting lessons. True. The people who are left behind are not learning a lesson. They're just grieving and losing their loved ones. Yes, they may have a little more comfortable life, but they don't learn the lesson and they don't purposely try to keep the population low to a sustainable level. 
two or maybe three generations down the line, we would be back in the same place. Very true. And as far as getting people back after the blip, it also goes back to the same thing of people haven't learned their lesson. So getting them back immediately would have been fine. But getting them back after five years when people have already learned to adjust, that adds more trauma to what's already happened. It does. Forget the economic perspective of it or even the macro perspective of it, just from a purely personal, individual level. If you lose a spouse or a child and you've taken that time, those five years to grieve them, and move on with your life, maybe get married again, or whatever it is, just learn to live with the loss. And then for them to come back, you have fundamentally changed because of that loss. Do you know what's a prime example of this? What? Did you see the movie Castaway? Yes. Perfect example of how Tom Hanks is stuck on that island for years and Helen Hunt moves on. Yes, exactly. She gets married to somebody else and has a kid. Right, exactly. And Tom Hanks comes back because he was essentially stuck in time. Mm-hmm. For him to adjust to this new reality and for the other person to adjust to that. Like between two spouses, she's already married to someone else, assuming this guy's dead. And then he comes back. Who does she want to be with? Yeah, it's very unfair when you think about it. Yeah. And what the Avengers did to bring back everyone else was not about healing wounds because everyone has been working on it. It's about them not being able to accept that they lost on such a large scale. I have to agree. I don't like it. Let us know. We would feel better... Not that it's your job to make us feel better, but we'd feel better knowing if others just even a little bit feel the same way. And if you don't, that's fine too. Feel free to curse us out. Yeah, but if you do, know that you're not the only one if you're also afraid to say anything. Because we definitely debated whether or not to say this today. (laughs) Yeah, and I decided to jump on that grenade. Hashtag brave. So brave. made a social media reference aren't you proud of me oh i'm so proud (laughs) okay and now we get to the reason that i have had fucking baba black sheep in my head since i went to bed last night yeah that was simultaneously very interesting and creepy that was one of the most unsettling things i've ever seen i don't know why I think it's his voice and the way he was saying it yes, or reciting it. Part of me desperately needs to see like some behind the scenes footage of Daniel Bruhl having fun with these children just to make me personally feel better. He scared the shit out of me here. (laughs) I was concerned, yes, that what is he going to do? Even though intellectually I'm thinking over and over in my head, I know he would never hurt these children. He would never hurt these children. Still, there was something so sinister about this. Maybe it's the whole like kids and candy and witches and razor blades trope. I don't know. 
but he does it so well. And then we remember, oh, right. He's a parent. He knows how kids work. He knows how to get information out of kids. Yeah. You know, they could have done this in a less creepy way, but they purposely chose to do it in this way to rack up the tension. I think so. I think part of it is also when Daniel Brühl is in Zemo mode, he can't help not be creepy. Hey, he was perfectly fine dancing, okay? (laughs) I may or may not have completely watched that entire one hour Zemo dancing cut. (laughs) Now, I got extra nervous. When Zemo tells all the kids that Sam and Bucky are very bad men. Yeah, I was wondering what he was doing. I thought he was going to use those kids as some kind of diversion so that he could get away. Okay. But nope, I forgot. He's better than that. He wouldn't use those children. Not that way. No. He's a man of principle. He is, but it still plants that seed in us again. He's going to double cross them eventually. It's just a matter of time. You don't need to plant the seed. It's there. It's a full blown tree at this point. Yes, but they keep reminding us, like you said, to ratchet up the tension. Mm -hmm. Because we like him so much, it's almost easy to forget that they're enemies. Yeah, true. And you can always see the wheels turning in Zemo's head. Yes, you can. And so can Bucky, which is why he gets so aggravated with Zemo back at the apartment. Yeah, you know, when Sam leaves initially to go and find out information, he tells Bucky, keep an eye on him. And Bucky literally does not take his eyes off him. Mm-hmm. It's, well, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, with, with good reason, because they don't know yet that he's got a fucking El Chapo hole in his tub. <laughs> Yeah, true. And when Bucky takes that glass from Zemo and throws it against the wall, that's the first time we see Zemo look genuinely afraid. Just for a second. Yes, he was startled. He was afraid. But what he was trying to do after that was all bravado Mm -hmm. to try and defuse the situation in a way. Mm -hmm. But Sam came in for the rescue. Speaking of Sam, he has the nerve to ask Sharon for help again. (sighs) These guys, I tell you. She goes along with this way too easily. Yeah, okay. We need to talk about her. Uh Uh-huh. So it seems like there's some kind of war going on in Madripoor with all the barricades and armed guards. Maybe. And she's just waltzing around like it's she's walking in a garden. Uh Uh-huh. Like she feels very safe. Yeah, the fuck is going on? Uh huh. Almost as if she might be untouchable. <laughs> hmm. Makes one wonder. Mm-hmm. And another thing that also makes one wonder is her access to satellites. Well, if she is so untouchable and seems to have a lot of sway, then it wouldn't be difficult for her to get access to satellites. Mm-hmm. And also, she did work for Shield. Yeah. She was a spy, so she may have some contacts or skills in order to get to gain access. 
lots of possibilities, but one thing is for sure, she really wants to find Carly. That she does. And she's very interested in the serum. Yes. Which we see Mm -hmm. Carly has hid in a cemetery. Yes. Good spot. True. Yeah. So it seems like she has about eight vials. Something like that. Yeah. So Carly's friend Nico here, he is one of her confidants. Yes. And it seems like he is 100% on board with what she did. Yeah, so Carly is looking for a little reassurance here that she is doing the right thing and going about things the right way. Yeah, and he seems to be telling her what she wants to hear. And I find this interesting because in the previous episode, she was spending more time with Dovich. And at the end of the episode, we see that when she actually blows up this building, he is very uncomfortable with it. And now she's spending time with someone who approves of her actions. Mm-hmm. There's that slippery slope again, surrounding yourself with a feedback loop. Yeah. So is this intentional on her part because she wants to spend more time with people who agree with her? Or are the people who are disagreeing with her distancing themselves? We don't see Dovich again in this episode. That's a really good point. And it's probably a little bit of both. Probably, yeah. And even though we see her sliding here, Carly again brings up good points. This is such great writing here. As they're talking about Captain America, as they're talking about the past, that shield is a monument to a bygone era, a reminder of all the people history just left out. Yeah, she's right. She is 100% right. And, you know, this is why I get frustrated. When I hear the media or boomers calling, you know, the World War II generation, the greatest generation. Yes, they took down the Nazis, but it was only great if you were a white heterosexual male. Mm -hmm. And one thing I do like that they're talking about over here in the show is that things aren't all that black and white like it used to be. There is a lot of gray and we can see that within the show itself. Carly, we understand where she's coming from. We understand that she has certain very valid points, but the way she's going about it is not right. And yet the people in power as well, they have certain things that they're right about. But the fact that they're they're oppressing already marginalized people is a problem. And the shield, it's an outdated concept. And Sam is right, it should be retired because there is no 100% right or wrong. There is no black and white. And to many, it is a symbol of supremacy, imperialism. Yes. Yeah. And that is exactly what Walker is doing with it. Oh, before we get to that, asshole. Let's hear a quick word from another podcast we think you guys might enjoy. Hey everyone, I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And we do a podcast about life, love, and hot topics. We're family friendly. Yeah, well, mostly. And you can catch us every week. 
So subscribe to The Chris and Christine Show on your favorite streaming service. And buckle up, Buttercup, because you're in for some fun. Some fun? Oh, yeah. That sounds fantastic. And we're back. So, yeah, this bad penny turns up in Latvia. And my first reaction was language again. (laughs) Yeah, he's coming in so pissed off and he's just screaming at these guys. It's like, dude, don't create a scene. And it was this scene in particular that I thought, my God, he looks like he's wearing a Halloween costume. Why? That suit is designed to make him look ridiculous. He looks like an overgrown kid whose mom makes him skateboard with knee pads on. And I have to ask, Goldie Hawn, if you're listening, please tell us, are those his original knee pads? I can't (laughs) see you being a helicopter mom, you know, but just let us know. Yeah, he's looking extra padded out and not in a trying to be muscular way. Yeah. And not only is Walker making this giant scene, like you said, he's just still riding in on their coattails. Yeah, pretty much. The reason why he's there is because people recognized Sam and Bucky. He can't figure out anything for himself. <laughs> and I think that's the reason why he's so worked up. Mm-hmm. He's getting nowhere. Yep. And... You know, both you and I, a lot of people wanted to see fireworks when Walker and Zemo met, but it's played perfectly here. Just the opposite. Zemo dismisses him like he's not even there. Yeah, he's unimportant. The way he puts his hand on Walker and just like so subtly moves him out of the way. Mm -hmm. Right, like you're a little fly that I just need to swat away yep while i actually get some work done he's constantly lagging behind them and trying to get in their way trying to stop them it's very juvenile and i also thought walker looked off from the start he shows up here his hair is wet and we're gonna see him behaving oddly later too i think this guy's been popping some uppers yeah i think he's running on some kind of stimulants and a severe lack of sleep Mm -hmm. and just that irritation of things not going the way he wants it to go and the part of me that is very much into natural wellness and integrative health is like oh no no that cortisol is building and building and building not good (laughs) yeah yeah by comparison hoskins is looking yes well one of them has to be Yeah, for now. I think all of this insanity that we see at the end would have happened a hell of a lot sooner if it weren't for Hoskins. I think he's the reason Walker stays as stable as he does for as long as he does. Makes sense, yeah. And this episode really reinforces Walker is that toxic white American macho male. Not saying it's everybody certain portion of the population he has no self-awareness he has no emotional intelligence no idea how to manage these interpersonal relations yeah with walker his thing is he's kind of like a workaholic in that sense i kind of relate to him 
to a certain extent. When something is not going his way, he wants to push harder. Mm-hmm. He thinks pushing harder, be it physically or metaphorically, will eventually give and make things go his way. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've done in the past till eventually I broke just like Walker did, except that I didn't actually, you know, behead someone, thankfully. Good to know. Yeah, well, yeah. But it's something that I've done. When I was frustrated, when I was burning out, I did not have the self-awareness to think, okay, maybe I should take a step back Mm -hmm. and reassess and consider what I should do next. My thought process was, no, I need to push myself harder because I'm not doing what I should be doing. And that's Walker's crux. He thinks about what he should do. Right. And on top of it, he's pushing for all the wrong reasons. Yes, but he doesn't know that. He doesn't want to know that. And then we have Sam. Anthony Mackie does such a great job being calm in this episode. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of nuance from Daniel Bruhl and Wyatt Russell, but Anthony Mackie's performance is just as important. Yeah, he's kind of like the grounding force for this entire group. He is. And he is the metaphor for nonviolence, peaceful resolutions, negotiation. Yeah, violence as a last resort, not the first attempt. Yes. Diplomacy and communication as the priority. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is something he knows how to do, that he's been trained to do. And even Hoskins is on his side. Yeah, Hoskins can see both sides of it. Whereas Walker just wants to shoot first and not even bother asking questions later. Pretty much, yeah. And that makes him a good soldier. Yeah. And we get some more subtlety here. It's interesting how Walker tries to manipulate Sam and Bucky, not try to pit them against each other per se, but still try to manipulate them. It doesn't work. Yeah, manipulate them to get them to do what he wants them to do, except that he's very obvious about it. Yes. So Bucky still refused here to call Sam his partner. Mm -hmm. And it finally hit me why. Why? The whole reason that Bucky has been keeping Sam at arm's length. I think Bucky is afraid to let himself get closer to Sam for two reasons. One, because it would be like betraying Steve because Steve was his best friend and also gaining a new best friend would be finally admitting and accepting that Steve, his brother, is gone and never coming back. Right now it feels for him that if he were to get tight with Sam, he feels like he's replacing or worse forgetting Steve. Yeah, that's possible. And also, I think it could be another reason because he doesn't want to call Sam his partner because for in his mind, this is a temporary arrangement. He doesn't want to get back into this life. He wants peace and quiet. That's true, too. You know who Bucky makes me think of? Who? John Watson. In the pilot episode of Sherlock, we see John returning from Afghanistan He's got the cane. He's got a psychosomatic limp. And 
it's towards the end of the episode where we see the limp go away as soon as Sherlock gets him on a chase. Mm -hmm. And when he asks John if he wants to work with them, he says, oh, I, you know, I bet you've seen such horrors for a lifetime. Yes, yes, far too many. Do you want to see more? Oh, God, yes. John's therapist was telling him he needed peace and quiet. He needed to heal. But that's not what John actually wanted. He wanted to be back in the game. I think maybe that's what might be happening with Bucky a little bit. He's caught between not really knowing what he wants. Yeah, because he is someone who has nothing to ground him. Mm -hmm. This is all he's known. So Zemo's got his little child mole here. And I love the fact that he gives this kid 500 bucks. Yeah. And the respect that he gives her by calling her an associate. Yes. He is respectful to a fault. And I love it. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely intentional. Yeah, absolutely. So they follow this little girl to the memorial and agree that Sam is going to approach Carly alone. He's got 10 minutes. Yeah, rather reluctantly. And then Walker cuffs Zemo to a pipe here. And I love that Zemo's not even mad. He's like, I get it. Yeah. He's <laughs> fine with it. I think partly because he knows yeah. he can get out of that anytime he wants. Because he does. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He's just waiting for his time. Add lockpicking to his long set of skills. So it's Zemo, Hoskins, Walker, and Bucky keeping watch over everybody while Sam heads up to talk to Carly. Right. And I think this is a very important scene. It tells us exactly what Mama Danya was to everyone, especially Carly. Yeah. She was so much more than a surrogate mother to her. Her savior, really. Yeah, yeah. And I gotta say, this kid that Carly is holding, oh my God, I just want to bite those cheeks. This kid <laughs> is absolutely precious. He is a moose, too. I felt bad for her holding this kid. That's a big boy. Hey, she's a super soldier. Oh, that's true. Well, put it this way. I felt bad for Erin Kellyman because God knows how long she had to <laughs> hold this kid while filming. Yeah, she probably had to take breaks. Yeah. Oh, he's cute. Yeah, he was a cute kid. And I give her a lot of credit for not just taking off running when she sees Sam. I think in that moment, they see that there is something more than just two people being antagonistic. Mm -hmm. And she stays there. And if you see, she was saying something, she sees Sam and then changes tactics. Yes, you see Erin Kellyman does a great job here. You see that quick flash in her eyes. Mm -hmm. And she changes the rest of her speech here on a dime. Yeah, so what was supposed to be a tribute ended up being a tribute in a way, but also more as a message to Sam. The girl can think on her feet. Yep, true. It's a little scary. <laughs> so her and Sam have a conversation here similar to the one Sam had earlier with the teacher. And all this talk of the displacement of, we'll say, the unblipped people really had me thinking about one of my all-time favorite movies, which is A League of Their Own. Okay. These displaced peoples have a lot in common with American women during World War II. Specifically, as it pertained to baseball, 
a lot of major league ball players, most of them went off to fight in the war. Even, you know, the biggest names, Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, went overseas. And so during that time, if you haven't seen the movie, the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League was created. Not softball, real baseball. Okay. And that went on for the duration of the war. And it didn't last much longer beyond that. I think less than 10 years it lasted. And there's a scene in the movie between David Strathairn and Gary Marshall where they're in the stands watching a game and Gary Marshall says, ah, these girls, I love them. I don't need them, but I love them. And Strathairn's like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, there's no room for girls baseball once the men come back. And he says, well, they did their duty. We told them they needed to come out of the kitchen and get to work. And they did. What are they supposed to do now? Carrie Marshall looks at him and says, what are we supposed to do? Tell the men returning from war to go back to the kitchen? This actually reminds me of a, of a show that I watched called Bomb Girls. Okay, so it's a Canadian show based in Canada where, again, Second World War, all the men were drafted and were at war, and women were asked to leave their kitchens and get to work, and all these women were working in a bomb-making factory. And it follows their lives and trials and tribulations and how they found independence once they had the opportunity to work right, and grow. Now, I'm sure there were women who were happy to be able to go back home and be homemakers at that time, sure. But like you just said, mm -hmm. there were plenty of women who got a taste of that economic freedom and didn't want to give it up. It's no different for the people the Flag Smashers are fighting for. Yeah, they got a taste of a better life. And now they're told, go back away. We don't need you anymore. Yeah. And Sam gets it. Yeah, he does. It's much the same fight that Black Americans had during the Civil Rights Movement mm -hmm. and still have today. And we cut back real quick and see the rest of this Motley crew. Walker is breaking. Yeah. They're, they do such a great job of building tension here. Yeah, it does. You can feel his patience running out. You can see he's getting jittery. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it's almost like he's an addict who is in withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And he may very well be. Probably. Yeah, that may be a big part of it. This back and forth that Sam and Carly have is great. Sam is holding up a mirror for her and showing her that she's on this slippery slope. Yeah, and he is connecting with her mm -hmm. he's reaching her mm -hmm. and that's something that shows that he has the experience of doing that with so many other people i think given more time sam could have brokered the beginnings of a truce with her absolutely 100 percent. he was at the cusp of changing her mindset mm -hmm. when walker barges in yeah and that Dangerous idiot continues to crack here. Oh, did I just want to punch him when he gets in Bucky's face and says, this is all real easy for you, isn't it? Yeah. The disrespect. He is such a fucking disgrace. Yeah, he's too in his own head 
you can see already the hint that he feels like he needs to be a super soldier in order to do what he needs to do in order to be Captain America. And this is where parts of me conflict with each other because I also think in my head, buddy, you better recognize who you are speaking to and do not forget that this man fought the Nazis in World War II and show some goddamn respect, which is in kind of direct contrast to what I said earlier. (laughs) It's a tough thing, especially, you know, having a grandfather who fought in the war, having a husband who is in the military now. This show is causing me a lot of inner turmoil. Yeah, we've had a conversation or two about that, haven't we? We have. It's not been easy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but for Walker, he wants to make it seem like it was easy for Bucky because he was a super soldier. Right. Just forgetting his decades of captivity as a prisoner of war. It's disgusting. Yeah, for him, it's like the super soldier serum is his answer to everything. It's his holy grail. And he's fixated. And he is jealous of the fact that Bucky is a super soldier. So that's the reason why he thinks that probably Bucky is looking down on Walker because he's not a super soldier. You're right. You're absolutely right. That's how his mind works. Yeah. Yep. So just as Sam is making real progress with Carly, Walker just can't help himself. And it's interesting to note that Bucky didn't actually physically stop him. He, he put his arm out, but he didn't take the step forward again to make sure that Sam had his time. I think this is also a testament to the fact that Bucky doesn't want to kill this guy. But if he starts, he just might. I think it's also about him being a bit unsure of himself. Mm-hmm. That too. And, and his own judgment. Yeah. And his unsteadiness in his relationship with Sam. Yeah. I mean, for me, if I started punching that guy, I would not be able to stop. <laughs> Even if I had to switch hands after a couple blows, which I likely would, start using my feet, get some steel-toed boots, I'd do what I had to do. Good to know. Yeah, I would do that. You've never decapitated anyone. Good stuff for finding out about each other today. (laughs) So everybody scatters here and Zemo escapes. Should we start calling him the great Zemo with these amazing escapes? (laughs) He needs a hat and a wand. No, I think the mask is good. He manages to ambush Carly and shoots her. Yes. No fanfare, nothing, just bang, bang, bang. Mm -hmm. She's lucky, though. She's lucky she had, at least momentarily, the serum as leverage. He doesn't know when he shoots her that the serum is right there. He was thinking he needs to at least just subdue her and keep her alive to find out where the rest of the serum is. Because if that man wants you dead, you're dead. Probably. I don't know. I think he was just shooting. And then it quite literally lands at his feet. Yes. And again, he does the right thing. Yeah, he destroys the serum. But Mrs. One. Of course. Did you get pissed off when Walker used the shield 
to subdue Zemo. I mean, to be fair, I get pissed off at everything he does. <laughs> so there was nothing particularly special about this. I will say Zemo should need way more than an ice pack later. Hmm, true. And his face is like completely unmarked. Like, no, no. You should at least look like you went around in the ring after that one. He should have broken his orbital socket. Oh, no, we're not talking about orbital sockets again. No. <laughs> no. Daredevil is over, Missy. But the orbital socket remains. So when Walker knocks Zemo out here and sees this vial on the floor, I think this might be Wyatt Russell's best moment in the show. I know you haven't seen it, but for our listeners who aren't uh, total scaredy cats, he reminds me very much here of Michael Myers in the original John Carpenter movies, not the garbage Rob Zombie reboot. The way he's holding himself, his whole affect, that little head tilt that he does, it's almost like he's not quite human anymore. Yeah. Yeah, true. He's lost. He's gone. Yeah. And we're going to see this again at the end of the episode. Just fantastic performance here. So in the aftermath of all this, Carly did manage to escape. She was shot, but super healing. So she's okay. Yeah. Her bigger problem is that Power Broker still wants that serum back and that serum no longer exists. Yeah, so she's kind of fucked. Yeah, she has lost all leverage. Yeah, absolutely. And now we see a colder, more callous Carly Morgenthau because she now fully intends to kill John Walker. Yeah, she does. And this is where we can see her descent further. This is not something that two episodes ago she would have even thought of. Mm -hmm. But she's being cornered and she's getting desperate. Yeah, speaking of desperation, Sam again asks Sharon, Hey friend, can you keep an eye on Walker for me? Let me know if he moves on Carly. Yeah, yeah. And Zemo here, resting on his fainting couch, <laughs> asks Sam if he would have ever taken the serum if it was offered. And Sam, to the surprise of no one, said he wouldn't. And I believe him 100%. Yeah, because for him, it's not about super strength. And we can see that. Mm -hmm. And like he says, blood isn't always the solution. And we've talked about that before in previous episodes. The civil rights movement in the U.S. was all about nonviolence. Same thing mm -hmm. with Nelson Mandela in South Africa. Right. Yeah. And, you know, what Zemo says here just has me thinking. And Sam asks the same question. He says, super soldiers cannot be allowed to exist. Where does Bucky fall in there? Is this Zemo's way of kind of implicitly telling Sam, I'm going to kill him too once I'm done with him? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if that, is, if that was his way of telling Sam that. His ideology does not allow for Bucky's existence. Plain Correct. and simple. Yeah. But he's willing to use him 
for now till he completes his mission. And I can see Zemo doing that. Once his mission is done, I would not be surprised to see him shooting Bucky in the head. Yeah, I have to agree. And what Sam says is interesting. He's basically calling Zemo out when he says, isn't that how gods talk? Mm-hmm. And he has a point. Who is Zemo to decide whether super soldier shouldn't exist or not? Isn't that supremacist of him? Yes. Yep. Sam is very good at turning an argument on its head. And also it shows that, again, Sam has the experience of asking those questions and making people realize that they have a blind spot. Mm -hmm. And while they're trying to have a civilized conversation, John Walker can't even just open a fucking door like a normal person. No, no, we must (laughs) kick it in. Yeah. And now we get my absolute, oh, you know what? No, no. My second favorite line of this episode from Sam. The only thing you're running in here is your mouth. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Shut down. Mic drop. Yeah. He is done with Walker's bullshit. Oh. And he's all set to throw down with Sam. Should I put the shield down and make it a fair fight? Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Are you kidding me? And again, you see that. He's not even trying to have a conversation, let alone an argument. He's straight away just going for punching. Yeah. But before Sam can kick his ass, (laughs) somebody else beats him to it because the uh, ladies of Wakanda have come for their prisoner. Yes, the Dora Milaje have arrived. Led by Io. Mm Mm-hmm. Walker is very quick here to uh, introduce himself as Captain America. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Because <laughs> he's just so important. Yeah, he, because he thinks he's the one in charge. And you can see the mask come back on when he's introducing himself to Ao. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and in the process of introducing himself, Mr. Walker lets Ao know that there are some issues of protocol and jurisdiction here. So basically, he wasn't able to convince them. So he pulled rank. Or rather, tried to pull rank. <laughs> tried being the key word because Io very calmly informs him that the Dora Milaje have jurisdiction wherever the Dora Milaje find themselves to be. Epic. Oh! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Just cheering on my couch. I was euphoric. Yeah absolutely fantastic loved it and just for the record she can have all the jurisdiction she needs with me (laughs) just in case it wasn't clear enough earlier right nope nope just i like to be very abundantly clear no confusions when he put his hand on her i turned into george mcfly on my couch she didn't need any help getting his damn hands <laughs> off her. That's no, for sure. she absolutely did not. Yeah. Holy shit. That was a bad move. That's a very politician type move. Mm-hmm. But a very bad move. Yes. 
That's also a very, I'm a white man with power and think I can put my hands on a woman if I want to move. Mm. Right. Yep. And guess what? That's not how these ladies roll. Mayhem ensues because you don't touch Adora Milaje. You just don't do it. So Bucky's thoroughly enjoying himself, as are we, watching Walker get the beat down of his life. Well, Zemo was enjoying it too. Do you know what I thought of watching Zemo in this moment? It took me back to the Avengers when Loki is on the cliff watching Thor, Tony, and Steve battle each other for that moment. Yeah. Only Zemo doesn't actually want to get caught. So he's just like, you know what? I'ma just while you guys are are doing your thing, I'ma just um just gotta use the bathroom real quick. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. And also he doesn't want people to be fighting over him, whereas Loki was loving every moment of it. Right. Different types of narcissists, we'll say. Because Zemo mm-hmm. definitely is. He just doesn't want to see it that way. No. This choreography is incredible. It is. And it's a very small area for them to have this fight with so many different moving parts. So aside from the choreography of the fights itself, the whole the logistics of it are interesting. And it's so fast paced. Yeah. And I love that Sam. It just has to be like, Bucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to do something. <laughs> he's definitely the angel on Bucky's shoulder. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So they get into it because they don't want to actually see Walker killed here. And that's where things are headed. Yeah, so basically, just when it seems like one of the ladies is about to kill Walker with her pointy stick, as Walker liked to call it, that's when Bucky steps in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so him and Sam get into it too. And... What diffuses everything is Io disabling Bucky's arm. Yeah. And the look that he gives her when she does that. Yeah, that look told us he didn't know she could do that. And betrayal. Like, how could you do that to me? Yeah. Yeah, dude, in front of everyone? (laughs) In front of my salad? Yeah, and like we said, while all this is going down, Zemo escapes like a fucking Ninja Turtle, and I love it. (laughs) Yeah. And my absolute favorite part of this is the way Io just just lets Walker keep the shield, tells her comrade there, just, you know, let him have it, as if it's nothing more than a toy. And Walker, yeah, Walker has to live with the fact that he only now has this shield because a group of superior black women have allowed him to keep it because he means that little to them. He is of that little consequence. Yeah, because for him, this whole, the shield, it means so much. Whereas for the Dora Milaje, it's nothing. It's just another piece of vibranium. That's it. Yes. And the fact that the other Dora basically got the shield up in the same way that Steve did. Yes is fantastic and i i mean hell she was more worthy to carry the shield than walker ever was yes and sam's face here the way he just looks at walker with such contempt 
Yeah, the stink eye. Oh, perfect. Yep. And, you know, there's a saying, and it's relevant to the way Walker reacts to all of this. Men are afraid that women are going to embarrass them. And women are afraid that men are going to kill them. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly what we see here in his reaction. He cannot deal with being so emasculated. It's his ego at the core of everything. Yeah, it is. And again, his hyperfixation on the super soldiers. Mm -hmm. They defeated him. And they're not even super soldiers. Right. He's finally realizing that he's out of his league. And he may have been hot stuff when he was in the military, but now he's playing with a different league of people. Mm -hmm. And he's feeling extremely insecure and insignificant. Mm -hmm. And my other thought here was again for Wyatt Russell. This guy is taking so many hits for the team. I just want to give him a hug. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a good job. And the way he looks so broken yeah. at the end of this. Yeah. It's a lot to take on as an actor to become the embodiment of everything that's wrong with an entire culture. <laughs> <laughs> this is a rough deal. So in the aftermath of this debacle, Walker gives Sam and Bucky at least a little goddamn breathing room. <laughs> and him and Hoskins yeah, head so over they... to this cafe. Yeah. You'd think after the beating they took, they'd want to actually sit down for a coffee. I think Walker's got too much speed in his system to do so. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. Walker signing an autograph had me gagging worse than... Sam, drinking live snakes. Live snakes is worse. No, not for me. And <laughs> I think it's also very important to note here that Hoskins is ignored. Yes, because the whole publicity blitz was done more for Captain America, John Walker, than it was ever for Battlestar. Mm -hmm. And I actually get kind of annoyed here with Hoskins because he keeps enabling Walker. Enabling how? By telling him he's a good guy. That he's doing the right thing. What he says here is absolutely true. Power just makes a person more themselves. Yes. But he doesn't see his friend for what he's become. Yeah, because he's in the same mindset with Walker. And they genuinely believe that what they're doing is right. And by following the government, they're doing the right thing. Well, what he says about power, that's exactly why... It's an interesting dichotomy. It's exactly why Walker shouldn't take the serum. And it's also exactly why he does. Yes, exactly. And what Hoskins says about the serum being bringing out more of who you are, he still thinks that Walker is the right guy because he makes the right decisions in the heat of battle. And what Hoskins doesn't realize is that Captain America is more than just being the guy in the middle of the battlefield. There's far more to it. And that's the same problem that they're having right now, minus the serum, because they're looking at this as a military mission, mm -hmm. whereas it should be more cohesive. 
right? More of a diplomatic mission, which is what Sam is trying to do. Yes. And rightly so. They are criticizing what they did in Afghanistan. And, and the fact that Walker is saying that he didn't feel like what he did was the right thing should be a wake-up call for him to realize that what he's still doing is he's still following those same people's orders. Mm -hmm. But he isn't. He's instead doubling down. And now's the part where I start to turn on Carly Morgenthau. Yeah. This is a step too far. Correct. She calls Sam's sister and Sarah is immediately on edge. Rightfully so. I mean, if an international terrorist calls you, you will be shit scared. Yeah. And I think this is kind of a wake up call for Sam, too. It's like, dude, you don't need to be Captain America to make enemies and put your family in danger. Yeah, true. So basically, she tells Sarah, I just want to know I can trust your brother. Set up another meet for me. And if you don't, I'm going to come get you and your kids. Yeah. This is where she went from good intention, but misguided revolutionary to outright villain. Yeah. And Sarah is trying to get across to her that, believe one thing, Sam is not working for that man. Yeah. And Carly believes her. Yeah, as she should. And Mm -hmm. it's what Sarah says that strikes a chord with Carly. My world doesn't matter to America. So why should I care about its mascot? That's the word. Yeah. Mascot. That is absolutely the word for Walker. Absolutely. Agreed. He is a mascot and he's trying to be more than that. Yeah. And this is another way the writers are showing that Sam and Sarah do understand where the Flag Smashers are coming from. Yeah, they do. I don't know so much about Sarah, but Sam 100% does. Because again, for Sarah, she only knows what's been told in the news and the news will not be painting a flattering picture. Right. All I mean is that Sarah understands the plight of the helpless and disenfranchised. Yes, true. So this time, Sam and Bucky wise up and go to meet Carly fully suited. Well, Sam in his Falcon suit, Bucky just needed his leather jacket. (laughs) Glad to see that making its return. Of course you are. Yes, indeed. And did you notice that in Sam's wing pack, Red Wing was still missing? Well, yeah. Why wouldn't it be? R.I.P. Yeah, I was kind of hoping maybe he would find a way to repair or what, that, replace Red Wing. That he'd call Sharon and beg her to make him somehow a new Red Wing among no, her many talents. No, he is no, he is still government contracted, right? You just hate to see your tech destroyed. Yes, I do. You got so upset when Matt Murdock destroyed that laptop during Daredevil, and you're just as upset about Red Wing. Hey, the laptop did nothing wrong. Okay? <laughs> That's going to be your new tagline. Not Thanos did nothing wrong. The laptop did nothing wrong. (laughs) So uh, speaking of Sharon, though, we need to explore something here. So she is tracking Walker for Sam. Mm -hmm. 
So the question is, is this her own program, system, whatever you want to call it, or is she intercepting the U.S. government's tracker on Walker? We don't know. Also, where'd you get that uh, split lip there, Miss Sharon? If I'm not mistaken, she was pretty banged up at the end of the last episode. She didn't have it earlier when she was on the phone with Sam. Maybe she got into a fight. Maybe she's not as untouchable as we thought she was. I need to know. I really, really do. They, am I in the Yarn territory? Yeah, you kind of are. God damn it. They did it on purpose. You know they did. (laughs) And I'm sitting here thinking to myself the last 24 hours, is this part of some deep ruse she has going on with somebody? A split lip? No, like part of a ruse where she got into a fight with somebody or allowed somebody to hit her. That looked like, you know what that looked like? That particular injury on her face, on her lip. It looked like this kind of split lip every woman gets when she gets backhand slapped in a TV show or movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what it looked like. So you think she's being abused? No. I don't know. I think she's up to all kinds of stuff and I don't know what or for whom or why. Do you want to add any more questions to that? (laughs) (laughs) No. I think if not the next episode, then the finale for sure, we're going to get more on what was going on with her, why these guys were doing this. That's not exactly the prediction of the century, Nostradamus. Well, yes, true. You don't get any points for that. I didn't know I was getting points. (laughs) Have I been getting points all this time? (laughs) Where do I redeem them? (laughs) Krista's Marvel merch store. AKA my home office. That's no fun. It's all low-key shit. So Sam and Bucky are there meeting up with Carly. There was no way Bucky was letting Sam go alone. Yes. And just as, again, Sam is making a little headway, Sharon gets in the alert. Walker is on his way to ruin everything for the thousandth time. (laughs) Yeah, so he comes in with Hoskins, guns blazing, ready to get in everyone's faces. And Carly freaks. I would do. Chaos ensues. Yep. Hoskins is taken down pretty much immediately and held hostage. Yes. Walker starts taking on the flag smashers. And this is when we see, oh, fuck, the shield gets stuck in the wall. Mm-hmm. And that's when we know what he's done. Yeah. And this whole sequence that we have with we're more in on walker once hoskins is taken we can hear he's got super hearing because he's trying to hear for that door closing Mm -hmm. and he's kind of slowly going through trying to get to hoskins it almost seems like it's a horror movie-esque thing and this other flag smasher who attacks him disappears and then attacks him again it's almost like he's hallucinating 
I thought for a second that maybe this is some kind of hallucination. Yeah, that reinforces what you're saying about the horror feel. It reinforces that Michael Myers vibe. Okay. I thought the same thing, the way he's kind of moving gingerly, the way he stares. It's very unsettling. Yeah, it is. And Sam catches up with him and sees him in action and says, what'd you do? Yeah. Sam knows. Sam immediately recognizes it because, well, he saw the guy flying across the stairwell and bending of the metal. I mean, an idiot would know. Yeah. That Walker is now a super soldier. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of super soldiers, uh, <laughs> I'm a little alarmed this week based on uh, this episode as well as uh, the Loki trailer that was released on Monday. I'm a little concerned about my arousal level at seeing men wielding knives. Mm-hmm. A little bit wondering what's wrong with me. What's with the knives? I don't know and I don't care. Yeah, there's certainly some good knife play in this sequence. Yeah, and Hoskins also has a knife in his belt and uses it, we see, to unbind his hands. Yes, he does. So he comes out of nowhere into this fight to protect Walker. Yeah, just at the nick of time when it seems like Harley is going to probably stab Walker. He comes in and pushes Carly out of the way, gets punched in the chest for it, hits a concrete beam, and instantly dead. Yeah, neck break. Neck break, spine break, could be all of it. And having a super soldier punch you in the chest, chances are his ribs are broken, are caved in too. Yeah. So two things here that we see from this scene. One. Hoskins did not know Walker took that serum. Yeah, safe to assume. And two, regardless of naivete, I don't think Carly meant to kill him. Yeah, I don't think she did either. She wanted to kill Walker, but she had no intentions of killing Hoskins. Yeah, I think Hoskins is the last guy she wanted to kill. Hmm. And when that happens, you can see everyone is shocked especially the Flag Smashers themselves. Yes. It's one of those moments that people look at each other and think, that escalated quickly. Yeah, and that's also one of those moments of when teenagers are messing around and then something drastic happens Mm -hmm. and they think, oh, fuck, this is real. Yeah. You know, consequences of this shit is real. This is that moment for them. Especially for the super soldiers because they've been so immune really, to injury for a while now. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we can't deny the fact that they're all young. They're all late teens, early 20s. Yeah. At that point in your life, people think they're invincible and they're so filled with passion and they think they, that they're on a mission to change the world. Yeah. And I think it's part shock, but also part fear. Because, oh, they know they've stepped in it now. Yeah. And Hoskins' death looks like, it seems to me like it's another trope where a black man has been killed off for a white man's journey to continue. 
And we've spoken about this in the previous episode when it came to women. Women have been sacrificed continuously for a man's story arc to continue. And in this case, a black man, Hoskins, was killed for that emotional impact for Walker. In this particular case, I get what you're saying, but I don't think that's what's happening here for a couple reasons. Mm -hmm. I think this is a higher level of storytelling than that, especially given what we've seen from these writers and the fact that Malcolm Spellman, the head writer, I can't see him allowing that. Okay. I think what Hoskins represents here is how white America treats black people. We have seen throughout this series that Hoskins does just as much work, if not more, than Walker. He is more useful than Walker. We have seen him ignored, like in the cafe, and ultimately he is discarded. I think that's the message the writers want people to see. Again, the mirror of how Black people in America are treated. And wouldn't you say that's reflected in the way, in that way, in, in movies and shows? He was used as a tool, and when he wasn't required anymore, he was discarded. I think that's the point. So you agree with me? No, I don't think they're perpetuating the trope. I think they're shining a light on it in a macro-allegorical way. All right, okay. And another really important takeaway here is that Hoskins' death is entirely Walker's fault. How so? If he doesn't take the serum, this whole debacle doesn't happen. He still would have gone and attacked Carly and the Flag Smashers. The fight would never escalate to this point. If Walker even had the guts at that point, after, I think the only reason that Walker has the guts to go after Carly and the Flag Smashers again is having taken the serum. Without that, he's still the guy who got his ass beat by the Dora Milaje. He, I don't mm -hmm. think, for all his bravado, would not have had the balls to take them on again. Okay, that's fair. And they would have taken him down so much more easily, too. It just never would have gotten to that point. Yeah, that's true. And he shouldn't have been there in the first place. All his aggression led to this point. If he had let Sam, continue working with Carly. This entire thing could have been averted. Yeah, agreed. But he doesn't look at it that way. Of course not. Carly sees what's happening, though. Sees the writing on the wall and gets the hell out of there. Yeah, they all do. They all run away. Yeah. And I consider this next part a reveal. When Walker jumps out the window after them and lands on that van, we get this incredible villainous music cue yeah to signal he's made the turn fully there's no going yeah. back yeah he is completely gone now john walker is gone so he is chasing down nico and when he screams at him where is she talking about carly i flashed immediately to batman interrogating the joker in the dark night mm -hmm. same words for very different reasons. Only John Walker does not have the self-control or the moral compass of Bruce Wayne. Say what you want about Bruce Wayne. He never lost his humanity. Right. And it's funny. I felt like a cliche 
because we see this guy scrambling away on his hands, Walker holding up that shield. And I found myself on my couch saying out loud on my first watch, the whole world is watching because you already see people taking out phones. Yeah. And Walker takes the shield, uses it like a weapon and just slams into this guy and just beheads him. In broad daylight, in front of dozens of filming witnesses on a street. Yes. And when he looks up, he sees all these people there. You can see the blood splatter on him. And he just puts the shield back on like it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. The way he tightens it up there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he's not even chilling. It's like he's not human in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. He's lost himself completely. And Sam and Bucky are too late. And that image of the shield covered in blood and the way Walker's head is bobbling. Oh. White Russell did a fantastic job. Yeah. In the worst way possible. (laughs) So we keep coming back to real world parallels here, everybody. It can't be ignored especially when it's this intentional and especially when Derek Chauvin is on trial right now. This show may be fictional and this may be Latvia, but this is Minneapolis folks. That's George Floyd on that sidewalk with a bunch of people standing around completely helpless, too afraid for their own lives, for their own safety to do anything about it as a man is murdered in the street. Pleading for his life. And on top of this just horrific brutality, at this point, I was like, oh my God, yeah, can we just destroy the shield now because it's ruined? It was halfway there already. It's got to go. Yeah. He just destroyed every bit of Steve's legacy. Pretty much. Yes. Get this man a jail cell. But, well, we don't know whether he goes to jail or if he even gets reprimanded for this. I can't handle cliffhangers. I can't do it anymore. (laughs) Yeah, so we have to wait another week. And Malcolm Spellman said we're going to cry next week. I can't deal with this. I need to sleep tonight. (laughs) And I really have no idea what's going to happen. I have absolutely no idea where they're going to take this. What is going to happen to Walker? Because I would think this has to pick up right in this moment. We don't know. And that's the fun of it. Mm. (sighs) (laughs) All right. Well, that was a fabulous roller coaster ride. I'm now thoroughly nauseous. (laughs) So we have a few people we'd like to thank this week. At the Terrible Hook. Zemo won't be eaten by wolverines in Wakanda yet, anyway. But maybe he'll get eaten by gators in the sewer. Or hook up with said Ninja Turtles. You do love the Ninja Turtles, I really do. It's a childhood thing (laughs) where they always made me be April, and I didn't want to be April. I wanted to be Leonardo, but I only found out as an adult that Leonardo sucks. And I was the worst kid ever. Okay, clearly someone's therapy session is overdue. At Phoenix underscore Ranger, we agree with you. Bucky is a comically terrible liar. 
Myra, let's petition together for more Sarah Wilson. Not enough of her in this episode. At Lord Sampler, you were right. And now that Walker's taken the serum, he's put himself on Zemo's hit list. Yes. Will Marlowe, were you also screaming on your couch when Walker got his ass handed to him by the Dora Milaje? I was cheering, that's for sure. Oh, that's the scene <laughs> I watched multiple times. Not Io swaggered away. I'm good with both. <laughs> Tom Garrett, do you still think Sharon is the power broker? I don't know anymore. <laughs> I'm still on that train, yes. <sighs> And on that note, thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for a breakdown of episode 5 of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Bring your tissues. And if you have a minute, everybody, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a quick review on iTunes. It would really help us out. And in the meantime, if you have something to add, you can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Marvel Madams. And visit us at themarvelousmadams.com where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. True, I will admit there will come a time when all this food feeding is going to come into play. Food feeding? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>